0: Hi, guys. Can I ask for a favor? If you enjoy listening to the show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It could really help the show to be discovered by more listeners. For the cost of less than a cup of coffee per month, you could also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts to receive bonus episodes. For the cost of two cups of coffee per month, you could also become a Patreon member for early access to episodes, bonus episode videos, as well as an invitation to a private discussion group. You can find all the links in the show notes. Now, back to the show. Network Automation Nerds Podcast. Hello and welcome to Network Automation Nerds Podcast, a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and a bunch of other technology topics that I find interesting. I'm your host, Eric Cho. Today is a distinct honor for me to welcome Dinesh to the show today. Um, Before the show today, I figure I need to uh, go read a bunch of RFCs and update my technical jobs just because just so I could have a good conversation with Dinesh because Dinesh is so accomplished he is the author of one of my favorite data center networking books cloud native data center networking by O'Reilly Media he also serves served as the chief scientist at uh, Cumulus Networks was a fellow at Cisco Systems um, was the co-author of Trill and VXLAN and has filed over 40 patents so in short, I hope I don't accidentally call BGP the Bridge Gap Protocol in this episode, really. And uh, also, I just want to clarify, I am indeed trying to make Dinesh feel old by listing out all of his uh, accomplishments. <laughs> so uh, I know I'm just going to enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Dinesh.
1: Thank you, Eric. That was a very kind introduction. Thank you. And thank you for doing the show. I mean, it takes a fair amount of your time to get all this done, the record, the edit. And to make it available to a lot of people, plus your books, uh, it's really nice. And I'm really glad to see people giving so much of their time and energy to helping the community. So thank you for doing this.
0: Well, well, you know, thank you for the kind words. I think um, a lot of people mention, you know, you know, give me compliments on the show. And uh, I, I appreciate it. But I think, to be honest, it's really, you know... Um, it's really, I benefit the most. I I find the excuse to reach out to people like you. I mean, I've reached out to you before, but it wasn't, uh, it was just, you know, exchange pleasantries, right? But in yeah. this way, I'm able to just be, for a small token of the time and maybe some an investment in, in you know, hosting. <laughs> and I get to ask you all these awesome questions. And so that's that's really awesome. And I I think this is actually one of my favorite time in the week just to down and talk to people. Um and talk talk shops. Um so thank you for being on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for yeah. having me.
0: Yeah. So so I mean, Dinesh, when I was preparing for the show, I was just like, How how are you so awesome? And how can you accomplish so much stuff in such a short time? And uh, I thought about just having this as a single question and then you could spend like the next 40 minutes telling me because that's how long it's gonna take. So <laughs> so but you know, I, I think Maybe it's a good idea to just start from the beginning and tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get interested in technology? And in particular, how did you get into network engineering and network technologies?
1: Sure. You know, the funny part of this is I when I told my daughter that I was getting on this, she's a 14-year-old, so, you know, mm-hmm. teenager. I told her I was getting on this interview and that I would be asked this question. She said, like, once upon a time, my father was <laughs> a little guy he did not understand why he could not play like all the other boys with toys because he was a mechanical klutz. He got (laughs) older in his life, realized he was still a mechanical klutz, and then he discovered programming, and life was wonderful again. Sounds
0: like a fairy tale.
1: uh, Yeah, so this was her narrating it like that. So I thought it was very funny, and, you know, teenagers, how teenagers are. So uh, I thought it was very funny that she narrated it that way. But, you know, it's actually very true. I basically was a mechanical klutz. I enjoyed reading. And then when I got presented a Casio PB-100, you know, growing up in India, these Mm -hmm. things are pretty hard. So when my dad, I don't know what made him get it, he got me a Casio PB-100. It's like a small, almost like a small calculator, a large size calculator with a one line display. Oh, okay. Uh, And you would program uh, basic in it. And I started playing with it and I got really excited. And that's all I could do. And then I got into, my dad got me what was then a ZX spectrum. And I realized that, you know, I wanted to do software. So I'm a self-taught programmer. I haven't done any, I don't have a formal degree in computer science.
0: Oh, wow. I have really? a formal
1: degree. I, so first I call myself the illiterate in the family because I have only bachelors. My wife <laughs> is a double MD. <laughs> so, oh uh, uh, so I have the illiterate. I have only bachelors and it's in electronics. So On pretty much everything I know in computers is self-taught, and you know how did I manage to do a lot? I think a lot of it has to do with luck. You got to put in a lot of effort on your side, obviously, but a lot of it has to do with luck. Mm -hmm. I think when I joined Cisco, I I knew always that I wanted to be in in network, uh, not network systems programming, and my first love was my actually my first love was AI. And okay. when I looked at AI, there was you know nothing that could be done because AI was just a dead field. It was a backwater that nobody... And it wasn't possible unless you got into the academics to be able to do anything. Right. Plus, because it was self-taught, I did not have the math chops to be able to do a bunch of things. So mm-hmm. I basically said like, okay, my next love was operating systems. But then <laughs> getting into a company which does operating systems was pretty hard.
2: Oh, for sure. And then
1: what happened was I got into networking. I had dabbled in a bunch of things. So my the first project I ever worked on was uh, the database engine of a mainframe database system a long, long time ago. It was mm-hmm. uh, a Bull mainframe. Bull is a French company, and okay. their American partners were Honeywell. And they had a mainframe database system, and so I wrote the runtime engine of that database system a long, long time ago.
0: So uh, how did you how did you write that? I mean. That was there were so many interesting things when, in just that that you covered. Right, first of all, it wasn't even like a full graphic calculator. It was like yes. just displaying like one line. One
1: line, one exactly. Line.
0: One line. Yeah, because for me, you know, the first I guess introduction was for the the TI eighty five, the graphic calculator where you program snakes and all of that. But it wasn't even that. It was just no. like a one line of calculator. One line. That's and, it. Uh, and then you 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 self taught on programming with a only with not only a bachelor's, right? Bachelors are great. And I only have bachelor's but um in electronics, but everything else was soft tie and you were good enough to be able to hang with with the best. Right. So yeah that is that is super awesome. And um and also I think people may have missed that, but you were very humble about just uh you know giving a lot of credit to luck and um You know, I think one of the books that I was reading, it's called The Psychology of Money. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: um, it talked about the role of luck and risk Mm -hmm. in lives. Mm -hmm. And most people don't think about it because it's hard to predict luck and hard to predict risk. So all they could do is attribute, you know, whatever accomplishment people have to, you know, how hard they work, their morning routine, (laughs) you know, how they cut Starbucks, but you're, you have enough self-aware to say, you know, yes, I work hard, but I also am very lucky, you know, to be born Absolutely. and join Cisco and, and um, be able at to do At right the right time.
1: time, right? It also depends on, uh, I you know, different people join uh, the company. I was not the only person who joined the Cisco at that time. Yeah. I got to be lucky. Now, clearly I worked hard, but mm-hmm. hard work alone is not sufficient. I think you do need people who support you, who encourage you and who recognize you for. So, you know, my first project was on a spanning tree and Mm. I joined the company and they said, like, "Okay, so here is a project. And my manager handed me a piece of paper and said, like, this is a project. And, uh, you know, we have a uh, what's the word for it? A demo with a customer which is yeah. pretty impressive at, if it's it's a $50 million deal or a $150 million deal. If right. you can get this demo done, and I don't expect you to, by the way, if you can get <laughs> it done it's three, in three months, that'll be great.
2: Okay. Uh,
1: and I was like, okay. And I looked at it and it said Spanning Tree Protocol. I didn't know what Spanning Tree Protocol was. It right. said VLANs. I didn't know what VLAN was. <laughs> and there were no books at that time, right? Today, right. one of the things people forget is how much information is available online. Yes. There was no information available online. You had to talk to people for this. And, you know, I couldn't just go buy $50 books at that time to be able to do what I wanted. Right. And uh, the funny part was, so then I met this person called Silvano Guy, who became my, you know, the person I would call my mentor in some sense, because he was the person who, you know, in some sense embodied nice guys don't finish last.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: He is a really sweet guy. And I've encountered other people like that, but he was the first person I encountered who was like that. And, you know, he is very accomplished. But when you speak with him, you never see, he never shows off what he's accomplished in his life. Right. And it was so we worked together. And because of all the work I did, I got on that was my first patent. And it was to do this thing called Uplink Fast. Mm. And it was a pretty impressive demo. So what we did is at the end of three months, we had MCI at that time show up and they wanted to buy, whether Cisco or at that time, I think it was Bay Networks. So they wanted oh. to decide between the two and they wanted to look at spanning tree. Right. So what we did is we did this uplink fast where we broke the cable and we said like, look, this is regular spanning tree that you get with everybody else. Right. Now, watch the video, right? So there was a video showing and then we broke the link and mm-hmm. the video just stopped for a minute and a half while the spanning tree converged. Then sure. we said, now with our fix, our patent, here it is. And it just blipped for a second and it continued.
2: Oh, we wow. The okay. That you was just, like, so
1: luck was the fact that I got the project at the time I did.
2: Mm. Luck
1: was the fact that I met someone like Silvano who he and I worked together so closely and we really hit it off. Right. Luck was my, uh, you know, my manager thinking like, Dinesh, you don't do anything, but I'll give you this Really important project, right? <laughs> Hard work was making sure it worked. Yeah. So and getting it all done. So I think everything plays a role that way. Sure. And that was actually a big stepping stone because a lot of people were impressed and they came to me. Jay Shree, who you know is the CEO of Arista at that sure. time, was uh, in marketing at that time. So she came by. Kirti Melkote, who was the CEO of Aruba, came by my office. And they were all very impressed with like, Dinesh, you've done so much and this is, you just came and you this is really cool, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and uh, one of the things everybody told me was, look, you, I think you'll go places, but you got to understand, you're a very excitable character. You have to be calm. You have to show the demeanor of a distinguished <laughs> engineer or whatever. Otherwise, you know, look at the distinguished engineers around you. I um... never got that demeanor. I never No <laughs> <So for> those things. <laughs> But I had a lot of people support me that way. And the other person who supported me a lot that way was a guy called Tom Edsel. Mm -hmm. And to people outside Cisco, he may not be as well known, but he was a god within Cisco. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, you know, all the big chips, like all the big switches, like Catalyst 5000, Catalyst 6000, he was the main architect. And I was working with him. Later on, I became one of the architects, key architects, but he was the main architect when I went. Mm -hmm. And the reason he hooked on to me is I sat in a room and I looked around every meeting I was in when anything needed to be said or done, everybody turned to him
2: Ah, and he had
1: to speak. So I said like, okay, it's useful to learn from the people who are really good. And one thing I always followed as a maxim was never tell your manager more than he or she needs
0: to know. <laughs> how so, so if Jeez, something takes <laughs>
1: yes if something takes a week don't say a week because then what will the manager do the moment your week is done he will give he or she will give you a task which they want done i don't want to do just their task i also want to learn and i want to right. do things that i find interesting not what they find interesting so i would always sure. say two weeks find the remaining week to go figure out who's doing interesting things in the company
0: oh wow okay so Luck
1: was, I walked into the room of Tom Edsel one day, and I said, Tom, uh, is there anything interesting you're doing that you want help with? And Tom had come to me by now, know me by now because of all the work I had done. And Tom said, like, yeah, sure. You know, I'm going, we are designing the first hardware FIB, which is, it was a switching chip, which had hardware in it. It was the first L3 switch, so to speak. And he said, like, I'm going and designing that. Do you want to come help me with that? I did not know what a fib was. (laughs) I was like, sure, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) So we walk into this room and obviously my manager doesn't know because, you know, the manager is like, your job is to work on X, not on Y. Right,
0: right. Perfect, uplink fast. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm not interested in what he wants me to do. I'm interested in doing other things. So Tom Excel said like, sure, come on. And we went in, we start chatting and he's like, look, everybody here is an ASIC engineer. You're the only software engineer. Do you hmm. want to come and explain to the team next week how the FIB works and how MPLS works? Should we do MPLS?
0: Oh wow! I
1: had never heard of MPLS. I didn't know what MPLS was. I was like, yeah. sure, no problem.
0: <laughs> and did you? So, and were you able to do that within a week? Yeah. I mean, How did you? Yeah. How did you do it though? Like, how do you ramp up to something fast? Think of here? my
1: skills So back to hard work. First, I worked very hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the second part of it is I think I'm a fast learner, so I was able to read things pretty quickly. The third, okay. of course, is to realize, you know, this old game in, uh, there's a book uh, called If Tomorrow Comes by Sidney Sheldon. And in that book, uh, there is a scene in which a late girl, uh, the main protagonist who doesn't know chess at all, plays two grandmasters at the same time. Mm mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. the way she does that is she has them in two different rooms. She goes there and starts the guy who does the first move. She goes and repeats the move to the other guy. Right. So the bottom line there is you were she was faking it. She didn't know. So part of my knowledge there was to understand also what I did not really know, what I was not good at, Mm -hmm. and where my skill level fell down. So I spoke to a lot of people. And again, people in Cisco were very kind. They came, spent time chatting with me, explaining to me. You know, someone like Fred Baker, who was like a big shot at that time. You know, he was the head of the IETF. He ran, he was the IETF director. And he was like, he was the first Cisco fellow. Mm -hmm. I went to him and said, Fred, how does this work? And he sat down and he explained everything to me. So luck was me walking into Tom's room at exactly the minute that he was actually going to go work on the FIB. Mm -hmm. And hard work was figuring out all this stuff going and making the presentation, going and finding people like Fred Baker and people like Fred Baker supporting me, right? Just like Tom, just like Silvano, someone like Fred Baker. I was just a kid. He had no reason to talk to me. He didn't know who I was, but he took the time to explain it to me. He got other people in the room. So everybody took time to explain. And that gave me the leg up to latch pieces together.
0: Mm, I see. And
1: that was made that the chip was very successful. It was called the chip was called uh, Polaris and it was very successful. It was a big seller for Cisco, uh, the enterprise for the Catalyst 6500. And that made Tom say, let's talk to the nation now.
0: Mm, Got it.
1: So that got me going. And so I became now Silvano and Tom, both of them. And meanwhile, my manager was pushing me to be a manager. And I said, like, I'm done. I don't want to. I was ready to quit Cisco. Because I didn't want to be a manager, and he said, "Oh wow,
0: you were willing to quit Cisco because they, yeah. they make you a manager."
1: Yeah, and I was—I mean, I let them make me a manager. I worked as a manager for six months, and I hated every day of it, except that I got I to work with some really beautiful people. I had four people, and they were just amazing people. I really liked that, and they're still friends with me. But uh, other than that, I didn't like being a manager, so I was ready to quit. And Silvano said, "I'm forming an architecture team. Do you want to be its first member?" Mm-hmm. And so that got me on. And so, you know, things moved on. And then there was also Keith McClory, who people may not know, is was Mr. SNMP. You know, okay. he passed away, unfortunately, last year okay. uh, or uh, two years ago, actually. But, you know, he was another person who was very nice in terms of helping me and kind of spending time talking to me. And kind of, you know, the first time I came up with an idea that I was going to present to everybody and it became a patent, which was a follow up to Uplink Fast. I was tremendously nervous because there were people in the room who really were bright and they attacked you in, you know, they jumped up and they started talking in really loud voices and vigorous things. And I shouldn't say that because I have a loud voice myself, but, (laughs) uh, you know, it was intimidating for a kid. And I remember standing in the coffee break room and kind of drinking coffee and just being really uh, nervous before the meeting and Keith walks into the room and I said like, hey, Keith said, so what, you're ready? And I said like, I'm really nervous, Keith. He said, be yeah. brave, Dinesh. Don't worry, you're good. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gave me the feeling of like, yeah, you know, I can do this. Yeah. So yeah, all I- of these different things of different people, hard work is involved, but also people like Tom, people like Silvano, people like Keith, all of them recognizing me and encouraging me was I think really important?
0: I think yeah, that those are super important, and you you know rightfully give the credit to them. But also, it's important to look at the trend, right? Like you were always prepared to take on more risk, yeah. to take on more challenges, and you're always willing to work hard to explore, do yeah. yeah. uh, the deliberate practice, right? So I yeah. think that's that's kind of uh, a very crucial point that you mentioned is you know what you don't know. So then yeah. you actively go out and seek for answers and yeah. uh, so you're always working on that tangent right like you yeah. know your capability yeah, yeah. and you work on your tangent so if you work i don't know uh, how long did you work at Cisco 15 years almost 15 so yeah. it wasn't like one year of experience repeated 15 times it was no. it was de- no. definitely 15 years of experience that you always learning and you you know yeah. leveraging all these resources within Cisco yeah. And all these awesome people. So that's great. Yeah. So what happened after after 15 years? How was it um right after that? You went to cumulus or yes. So
1: what happened was essentially at that point, um when I quit Cisco, I was a fellow. I had just become a fellow again because of Tom. You know, they said we'll nominate Dinesh as a fellow. And they put up the nomination committee, and the committee said, like, look, we know Dinesh is a smart guy, but does he ever stand alone? He was always with you or with Silvano. Does he mm-hmm. ever stand alone? And I was pissed off because I had worked with Radia Perlman <laughs> by that time. Yeah, she had liked Ms. me. NG. and, so, Hello. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I was like, you know, i would worked with a lot of industry luminaries and I was very upset with the committee that uh, they were, um, what's the word for it, telling this about me. Mm-hmm. The other part that is interesting is I was working part-time at that time.
2: Oh,
0: really? Okay. Yeah,
1: so I have been working part-time pretty much from 2006. And that was the second time I went to quit. So I went to Tom's office and I said, Tom, I want to quit. Tom was my manager at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, I want to quit. And he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go work with a nonprofit. And he said, you know what? We can't let you go yet. Can you work part-time and see if it works? And, you know, it worked out. My definition of part-time is I probably left a lot of money at the table.
0: Yeah.
1: But uh, it's my ability to control my time
0: right right
1: and i wanted to kind of be you know when we had a child i wanted to be a father i did not want to kind of not be there for her so my trick was like if i can be there for her and say like look she wants me to come to her science program on tuesday my wife's a doctor she takes care of all the back end she can't do the front end so you know <laughs> six o'clock in the morning she's like gone it. at five thirty, right yeah she can yeah. take care of the cooking but at five she's gone in the morning yeah. Yeah. So it worked out well that way for us. That uh, I was able to take this back seat, and again, the fact that I had chosen to be uh, an engineer was the other part that was fun. You know, a lot of people said you give up a lot of control, right? Again, back to this point of accomplishment or whatever. I don't know if I've accomplished a lot. I think you know, when I look at others, I feel like I've done nothing much. But on no, the no, other hand, is
0: pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand. Like, I think one of the things I did, two other things I did is I said, look, if I want to be a VP or anything like that, yeah, that's not going to happen with me being part-time. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to stay on the technical track because that's <laughs> what I enjoyed the most. And so that's what I would go do. Right. The second part of it is I never chose or ran after titles.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just said, my goal was if tomorrow the manager says... I have to lay off people. How do I make sure I'm one of the three people in the room that he says, I cannot let this guy go. Mm. And my take was, again, not so much to running from a point of fear, but to be of so much value that nobody ever cared about anything else.
0: Right. Right? Nobody will move your cheese.
1: Yes. I, I wanted to move the cheese before someone else did, so to speak. Right.
0: Right and that you know again luck plays uh, a uh, lot.
1: <laughs> Pardon?
0: No, no. I was gonna say you know that reminded me of uh, only the paranoid survives. Right? Like you're always yeah. on the edge. Uh, maybe yeah. that that's because of you know uh, I I actually have the same mindset too. But maybe because that's uh, I find it most prevalent in like immigrants and uh, people yeah. who come from you know kind of maybe scarcity in the childhood. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Who hunger for more? Yeah. Exactly. I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, um, so Andy Groves obviously was the ex-CEO for mm-hmm. for Intel, and he he wrote the book up. Uh, I don't know if it was that title, but essentially, that's what I remember of it. You know, only the paranoia. A lot of people lives. said
1: that. A lot of people. For me, it isn't about paranoia. Yeah. You know, I have another friend of mine who said, you know, Dinesh, we are awarded a lot in our life. We are rewarded a lot in our life for knowing the answers. Okay. The trouble with wanting to know the answers is that you invest a lot of energy in being right. Okay. That puts you at odds with a lot of people, unless you're really phenomenally smart and you can Mm -hmm. always be right. But even then, if you can make your life about learning, you're always going to win. You're always going to come ahead. It doesn't matter what the outcome is because there was some learning involved. It's fun. Mm -hmm. So I tried to embody that of always thinking about learning as my reason for doing something. Mm
2: -hmm. So,
1: you know, when I quit Cisco, again, back to just closing out the story, Tom, again, was responsible because I was very upset. And I said, like, look, what the heck do they mean by, you know, that I need to do this? And Tom said, look, Dinesh, I can go fight them. Or what I can do is simply put you ahead of me in everything that comes now. So every single call that people had to Tom, Tom would say, I have no time. Talk to the niche. I have no time. Talk to the niche. <laughs> That put me for almost six months completely front and center in defining the data center strategy at
2: Cisco. Right, right.
1: Now people saw what I could do and they said, okay, fine and so when tom went back to the fellow committee to say i want to nominate dinesh as fellow it went through without a breeze i mean without Absolutely. it went through like with a breeze it, it, there was no problem at all wow. and again the point that i'm making is i had to work hard but i had people like tom silvano who especially those two silvano and tom who encouraged a lot for me and did a lot for me at cisco
0: yeah yeah but because i mean it's um it goes both ways right like you you hang with it so if if he mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, go go through Dinesh and you know it falls, falls falls down after the first two calls," I'm sure Tom would step in and yes. try to help you,
2: Yes. <laughs> and yeah.
0: uh, and yeah. see if you could remedy that. But you you were able to hang and uh, able yeah. to be fine a center with the data center technology. Yeah. And by the way, and
2: it's a big
1: deal, right, to define the data center strategy at that time yes. for Tom to say, like, "Okay, you are sitting in the room with the CTO of the company. You are sitting in the room with a whole bunch of people from the company." So yeah. to kind of say like, no, Dinesh will do that was some amount of giving up on his part. You know, he yeah. was already an established figure and you can say like, what did he lose? But what I've seen in people is that many people doesn't matter how much they have, they yeah. always feel like they want more. Mm-hmm. It was Tom's bigness that he said, no, Dinesh, you go.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? So again, I say, I think I've managed to accomplish a lot because I stood on the shoulders of giants and I truly benefited from their uh Kindness to me. And I had to put in my hard work and do my thing. But sure. that was a lot of that.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. I, and I then really when I quit that.
1: Cisco, I went to NCMA. Uh, and yeah. I went to NCMA because Tom wanted me to come to NCMA. Okay. But two weeks there, I said, this is a piece of junk. ACI <laughs> is a piece of junk. I don't like ACI. I'm not going to okay. do ACI. And I okay. Quit. Okay. What I and- wanted to do was what Cumulus was doing, but I didn't know what Cumulus was doing.
0: At that yeah, time. yeah, it must have been pretty early stage when you joined, right?
1: Yes, yeah, there, there were nine people already, but
0: uh, oh, JR wow. called people, me up. All so nine people. <laughs>
1: yeah, and JR called me up and said, "Dinesh, can you come work? Uh, yeah. with me. I want to really take Cumulus somewhere." And as I thought about it, it was my choice was to be the last gasp of a dying empire or the first gasp of a new one. <laughs> uh, at least that's how I, that's the story i spun to myself and for me you know and then i went to tom the hardest part of that exercise was leaving tom and you know mario and prem and luca who had seen me through andiamo were also very supportive of me through the time and i did feel bad for leaving in cma and kind of walking away from them but the person i really felt bad was walking away from tom mm-hmm. but you know he said dinesh as your friend i cannot tell you you must stay i'm unhappy and i'm upset that you're leaving but on the other hand as your friend i must support you and i will support you yeah and so walking away after that was easier for me and then you know jr uh, called me and then jr i was like you know what will i do and i was ready to quit technology again because i was like
0: look build switches
1: done, (laughs) written protocols, done that. So all of that is done. What do I have to do? So I was actually-
0: What do you learn, right? Like, as you mentioned, the whole thing for you was about learning.
1: Exactly. And so I was like, okay, you know, I was already a fellow at Cisco when I quit, big deal, right? It wasn't the title I was chasing after anyway. So it was about learning. And I was like, okay. So I was sitting down and looking at what I, I loved writing. I was to write a personal blog at that time. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I was like, you know, I'm just going to be a writer. I'm going to go and do writing. And okay. then JR called me out of the blue and said, Dinesh, I want you to come and work. I was like, you know, I respected JR a lot and I still respect him a lot. Uh, yeah. So he called me and so I went and heard what he was doing. And I said like, oh, my God, this is the thing to do. And I was always an open source bigot. And so yeah. doing something in Linux was like, of course. Right. And so you, that probably was very helpful to me again. Sure. In terms of, you know, putting me front and center in a way that I was not at Cisco. You know, at Cisco, people would call me when they had big guys show up and say, "Like, hey, Dinesh, here is uh, the JPMc or here is Goldman Sachs, and they have yeah. a problem."
0: Yeah, they want to impress the customer. Then they exactly, and the
1: customer has some big problem and they want to solve. Whereas at Cumulus, I have a network operator and the guy doesn't know what to do. Right? I mean, he is trying to figure out how to uh, do automation. Right. And how do you automate BGP? Have you looked at Ansible and automate BGP? It's impossible. So that's how (laughs) sitting there gave me the ideas of seeing what a network operator dealt with firsthand.
0: So Dinesh, can you tell us what, um, for people who are not very familiar with Cumulus, mm -hmm. can you tell us just a high overview of what Cumulus was trying to do? And, um, you know, just kind of a one sentence.
1: I think the simple way to think about it is what... Cumulus wanted to do was what Linux and Intel did to Sun, HP, all of those guys, right? They were all gone. The only thing that was left standing was Linux and Intel. And our idea was you don't want the hardware to determine what software you get.
0: right? So think
1: about the decoupling of the hardware and the software exactly as happened in the server, but in the networking industry. And to kind of provide Linux as the operating system for Mm -hmm. uh, networks.
0: Network gears, right. Exactly.
1: For routers, for bridges, for layer two switches, layer three switches, for all of them. And so we basically were working on this NOS, so to speak, which was basically Linux. And our secret sauce at that time was we wrote a little Mm -hmm. engine, a driver that converted the Linux commands that you type like IP route add or BGP, whatever, into whatever was required on the hardware.
2: Right.
0: So right. we would
1: interpret those messages and write to the hardware. So right. that was the thing. And so I got to see firsthand what a lot of people were doing. And that gave me the insight to do things like BGP Unnumbered and FRR, all the stuff that we did in FRR and the simplifications of EDPN. So that, you know, when you looked at configure automating configuration, it was right. really trivial. Right. It became very, very easy for you to automate. So that's what I did. And JR there was very helpful. He was very supportive of, like, you know, the way it would work is JR would be the CEO. He would walk in, do a bunch of things. And when it came to technical stuff, they would turn to me and say, like, okay, Dinesh, you go deal with it. Right. So, And that started with presenting the high-level pitch to the lowest level, whatever else. And that's where I first encountered uh, Ivan Pepelniak. He had Mm -hmm. come for a networking field day. And funnily enough, you know, uh, he was very impressed with BGP Unnumbered and everything else. And right. he and I started chatting and now we are good friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have presented a lot of stuff and people know a lot about me also because I have presented a lot of t- things at uh, with Ivan Pepelniak. Right. So there have been like, you know, again, pointing out that you have to do the work, but also all the right people at the right time in terms of being just kind, helpful, et cetera, et cetera uh help made a big difference uh in my life in terms of being able to accomplish for whatever measure you call it an accomplishment what I
0: have accomplished. I mean Yvonne is a hard person to to impress. I mean he knows with his (laughs) straight shooting, no BS Exactly, exactly you know these gray hair to back him up and say Yes, you know, this is just BS, right? Like he calls the BS out when he's exactly so exactly. it's, it's funny you said he was very impressed. I'm like, oh my God, you're like one of the handful of people that could say that, right? Like usually yeah. it's, okay, you don't suck. And that was a compliment. <laughs> um but- no,
1: it, was, it was a lot of fun. In fact, you know, JR and a whole bunch of others didn't even believe that. They were like, no, 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 no. Ivan is such a grumpy guy. He will never, you know, he must have liked <laughs> one little thing. And I was like, no, you know, I think. Uh, Ivan uh, likes what I'm talking about, and I'm not BSing. I'm not talking about the same person. (laughs)
2: Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. Even today, uh, he and I were exchanging an email, and so we are good friends now. So it's it's kind of nice. Again, like I said, I've tried my best to always be honest. And be of service to whoever it is that I'm talking to. So when I'm talking to you, I'm trying to be of service to you and the audience and whoever it is that uh, who hears this podcast. So they get, you know, a couple of things out of it in some way. And hopefully what they hear is that I worked hard, but I was also very lucky. And I had the good fortune of meeting a whole bunch of really good people who which made my life different and what it is now. As opposed yeah. to saying like, oh, I'm some cool dude who, you know, accomplished all these wonderful <laughs> things.
0: No, I mean, I, the thing that I think of is luck is, um, is for the people who are prepared. Exactly. Those fortune
1: prepared. favors the prepared. Yeah, yeah fortune yeah.
0: favors You, you yep. put it much more elegantly.
1: It's a quote. I didn't put it. Yeah, I read yeah it. of course.
0: Okay, so now, you know, and I remember um, reading about your LinkedIn post on uh, your retirement on from you know cumulus right and you you actually had balloons they had a big cake with your book on on the on the cake so what what prompt you for your next project right like and i am um i am gonna ask you this very difficult question on you know first of all what's what's after that for uh for cumulus and also i want to ask you how do you pronounce that project? S U Z I E Q, right? So, and so, that kind of gave it away. But I want to hear your side. Yeah.
1: So the way you pronounce it is Suzy Q. I always write the Q small. Uh, I've been thinking of making it now capital, and I've started using capital because I heard from a bunch of people saying like, "We don't know how to pronounce this damn thing. Is it
2: Suzy? <laughs> yes, yeah, Suzy. Uh,
1: yeah. They came up with all kinds of, and I was like, guys, where is your rock and roll history? It's Suzy Q. <laughs> It's a CCR song.
0: Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm sorry. I, I was one of those fools who pronounces su, Suzyk. In fact, I was talking to uh, Ray Donato and uh-huh. you know, we were talking about different testing uh, tools and frameworks and observability. And I, I actually called it su, Suzyk. And so thank you for sending me straight here.
1: Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I my mistake, right? I put a small cue. How was is, how is someone supposed to know? Uh I am like, you know, a lot of pop cultural history is kind of flows through me when I speak, uh, because I tr- remember those things. Uh, it's like the Elton John song, you know, sad songs, because they say so much because they hurt so good to it feels so good to hurt so bad because someone else knows how to make you really feel the hurt that you have <laughs> going on. So similarly, someone has a very good quote, I'm very happy to take their quote and use it rather than pretend <laughs> like they're all mine. You know, life is so rich and there's so many people have done so many things. Uh, I don't see any reason to keep on duplicating other people's work. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's called Suzy Q and I call it, okay. it's called Suzy Q because I was listening to the CCR song when I was thinking of this. This is a problem that's uh, bothered me a lot, when I, especially when I was at uh, Cumulus and I saw it, that people who try to work on some things the network operators, they always had difficulty that they had to figure out, you know, even when something went wrong, they would type trace route. That would give them the locus of where to start from. Then they would log into the box, do show running convict, do this, do that. And it was all a very manual step-by-step process that I thought was actually pretty ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I said, like, you know, we have the tools to think about this. So again, coming back to Cumulus, one of the things I learned from Cumulus, my takeaways from Cumulus is, Networking people tend to think of themselves as embedded systems people, meaning they sometimes don't take advantage of the tools that are available to them that regular software application developers take advantage of. Right, right. Absolutely. Or software. Um, what do you even system software people take advantage of? Whereas mm-hmm. at Cumulus, because we thought of ourselves as Linux people, we mm-hmm. just took advantage of everything. We, for us, you know, we didn't care. So using yeah. Redis was not a big deal for us. Right, right. Or picking up uh, something else and using it was not a big deal for us. It was pretty straightforward. Using a file system to be a checkpoint in terms of commit and rollback was not a big deal for us because we thought of ourselves as Linux people taking advantage of all the ecosystem that is available to a system developer as opposed to thinking my only availability is my appliance. You know, I build an appliance and I can only do so much. The only other people I've seen come close to that are Arista and before that Cisco. I'm sorry, not Cisco, Juniper. Otherwise, everybody else, Cisco, even to this day, really screws up how they present their operating system. (laughs) It's still a very, very dumbed down version. And if I feel like there is one thing I wish people could do more is for them to kind of really open up and see that to think of themselves not as, you know, an appliance vendor, but as a general purpose operating system vendor. And your specific thing in this case is networking. Right. But you can avail of all of the tools that are available to any software Linux developer.
0: Yeah. So Back to that decoupling, right? Like you're decoupling the hardware. And so, so yes, of course, Cisco is... You know, uh, could be like Apple, right? Apple still does the software and hardware, but there's two, both of them are best in class, and yes. the software people don't necessarily talk to the the hardware people, but at the same time, they uh, they take advantage of each other's particular domain, and in this case, you know the the tail model where you know the software is able to take advantage of what uh, back to what you were talking about because. You know, Juniper is based on BSD, so they could yeah. take advantage of all these tools. And the Rista was uh, Linux, and um, you know they're able to take advantage of those tools as well. So now you discover—I mean, not discover—but now you have this mindset. Uh, you know, after Cumulus, you started a project, right? Yep.
1: So. When I was at Cumulus, like I said, I realized that we have a lot at our disposal to understand and play with. I am not limited to the tools that network developers necessarily are stuck with. Network, uh, either software vendors or operators are stuck with. That enabled me to start thinking differently about the whole thing. And one of the things I saw was, especially at that time, there was a lot of churn in terms of every day there was a new database coming out. (laughs) Right, a new time series database coming
0: up. Right, SQL, NoSQL, big data. Yes. Yeah.
1: yes, and so there was all of that flux going on. Yeah. And, then the all matter, was, animals. Yes. and the trouble was that everybody thought about it from the perspective of whatever my data store is, that data store will provide everything. So for example, if you decide that you're going to change your data store, all the data that was in the data store to export it and write it somewhere else is real pain. Yeah. Right, So people shift entire NMSs simply because they, their data store went obsolete, right? There mm. were RRDs, then there was Cactus, uh, yes. there was Cacti, and then there was Graphite, and then there was InfluxDB, which was better than Graphite, and then there was Prometheus. And, you know, all of these guys were... And one of the things that struck me is, why do I have to be limited to whatever it is that anybody does? Okay. You know, I'm looking at it as saying, like, I want the best in breed and I don't want to be tied to anybody. Okay. so tomorrow there is a new tool. I want to be able to switch to it as quickly as possible, because, again, I see myself not as the best in the business about anything. What I can do, however, is hopefully stitch things together. And as they say, try and think about what is not worth wasting your effort on. Okay one of the things that i learned i would say if you know what you know if you had to pick one thing dinesh that causes your gray hair that you can say explains the reason why anybody should appreciate your gray hair i would say that it is the things that you learn what not to do what are problems that are not worth solving Okay. Right There is this line that I quote a lot. Anybody who's heard me uh, knows that I use this all the time is Dizzy Gillespie, the famous jazz saxophone player, not jazz saxophone trumpet player. Uh, I think it's trumpet. I don't know. Trumpet or saxophone <laughs> now. Uh, I don't want to uh, pretend I know the answer correctly. So anyway, he said, it took me all my life to know what not to play. Oh, Okay. So I thought of that a lot. To me, it is what problems are not worth solving. Okay. Because when you attempt to solve something to the 99th or the 100th percent, it adds a whole bunch of inefficiencies because that last tail really throws it out of the whack. And then what you end up having is a really complex system that 99% of the people don't care about, but now have to deal with because you wanted a 100% solution. Many times simply defining, framing the problem in AI, there is this thing called the framing thing, which is how do you know when you define something, what is inside the definition and what's outside the definition, that framing is really important. And so to always be able to say, this is what I will not bother doing. This is a problem I will not attempt to solve. So my thought process in that was, again, to come back to this whole thing is, I don't want to be stuck with a tool that is stuck with whatever is a technology that happened to be ripe at that time. I want to be able to evolve, and I want it to be open source, and I do not want to be tied to anybody. Okay. So Prometheus, for example, is a wonderful uh, metrics database, but it doesn't store anything but numbers. And I did Mm. not want to store numbers. There are enough people storing numbers. I wanted to start with a problem of a whole bunch of other things that people are interested in that network operators wouldn't know. So A cannot talk to B, you know, all problems in the world are roughly, uh, that network operators face are of one of two kinds. A cannot talk to B or A can talk to B, but very suboptimally. And Mm -hmm. you got to figure out what's going on. In those two cases, it's not always the metrics that matter. It is to know, first of all, where is A? Which router is it on? What switch is it on? You know, what layer two box is it on? I mean, just to know where it is. Or sometimes people want to understand, where are the wharfs? Where is a particular wharf? What are all the devices on which a particular wharf is? Or what what do I need to do in order to upgrade my data, operating my data center? Do I need 10 switches because now the new switches are 64 port and my old switches were 32 port? Do right. I need half of them or do I need only a third because I'm not really using all my ports? There are so right. many questions which are not related to anything to do with troubleshooting, nothing to do with. It's just knowing what is there, having data and being able to query it and access it and use it in meaningful ways. Mm -hmm. So my thought process was that's where I wanted to go. And so after scratching my head a lot, I loved this columnar uh, file format called Parquet.
2: Yeah.
1: And I thought it was really spot on. And I saw that a lot of people were using it, Uh, especially in machine learning and AI applications, the big data application people were using it. And my thought process was, if you are going to gather a whole ton of data, then that whole ton of data is obviously going to be require require some amount of querying. Otherwise, you can't search. I mean, today, if you look at the internet, at some level, if Google or DuckDuckGo or your favorite tool can't find it, that information as well might not exist. It's like the classic argument. If there is no one to hear uh, when a tree falls in a forest, did the tree really fall?
0: Right. <laughs> right right and just uh, right the park is spelled p-r-a-q-u-e-t correct. and how is that how is that different than like the relational database how does it help you from abstracting from just you know database centered tool to you know answering questions that you post so
1: first of all it was not a database it was a file format and that meant so, that i could start much more easily today there are uh row, column-oriented databases. For example, yeah. there is uh, ClickHouse, which is a column-oriented uh, database. There is uh, Druid, which is a column-oriented database. And I believe Druid is an um, Apache project. So there are things. But when I looked at it, there were they weren't there, uh, or at least I didn't find them. Yeah. And the basic idea is if you think about how a relational database works, first of all, you have to define the relations. And I did not right. want to define relations. That's the thing I took out of Redis which was, I don't want to define relations. I would like some things, but I don't want to define them.
0: Right.
1: The second thing I wanted to do-
0: define them in the database. uh, Exactly. uh, In the storage anyways.
1: Exactly. So the second part I wanted to do was to say that if you look at uh, a relational database today or any traditional row-oriented database, when you have a thing like, for example, Eric's name, Eric's first name, Eric's last name, his address, his title, and the company he works for, just take those five.
0: Yeah. typically
1: all five are stored in a row and you store row after row after row after row.
2: Right, 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 right.
1: Right? But Eric is a common enough name that there will be at least one more Eric in the company. Right. So columnar storage says, store the first name as a column as itself. So mm-hmm. you store columns, not rows, and you construct the rows. Okay. So what that means is that when you're looking for only certain pieces of information, for example, I just want to find software engineers. How many Mm -hmm. of them are there? It's very Mm -hmm. easy if you just look up the column, which is software engineer. And, you know, again, think about the compression. There are hundreds of software engineers. If I do row-based compression of that information, it's much harder, right? Because there are lots of bits which are different. There is Eric, which is different. The next name is Chow. Someone else might be Eric Andrews. Someone else might be Eric, uh, you know, so well, and they're all different, different, different people, and you have to store all of that information, and they may all be software engineers, whereas if you compress software engineers, that's one bit, so mm-hmm. I just need one bit to store all the rows of software engineers, just one bit, So it's right. phenomenal compression, also is very efficient in querying, and that's the way the Parquet system is built, and the tools around it, that I really like the elegance of it, and the simplicity of it Mm-hmm. Because building a tool like Suzy Q, one of the things I was very careful of or I'm very concerned about or when I say concerned is top of mind in terms of design.
2: Yeah.
1: One of the things for that is who's watching the watcher? You know, if okay. Suzy Q becomes really good, then the world that Suzy Q shows is the world you see. If it lies to you deliberately or otherwise, then you have a problem because now you don't <laughs> know. You are led astray. So I was very clear that I did not want to do that. And I'm also a phenomenally lazy person. I don't want to fix bugs if I can help it. I don't want to write code if I can help it. If someone's already done the work for me, I'll take theirs very happily. I have zero interest in repeating work. And if someone has done a good enough job, I will start there and I will add the stitches that need to be done in order to make it do what I want, so to speak. But my point to you is that, so that's why I chose Parquet as a database backend. Because then I'm no longer stuck with a single tool. I can use many different tools. There are lots of people who use lots of different uh, tools to work with Parquet. Amazon works with Parquet. Mm -hmm. Google works with Parquet. So I can go to the cloud. I can stay with this. I can start with a new tool tomorrow. I can add a SQL front end. I can do whatever I want simply because my back end is independent of my front end. Same thing with the Polar. Today I've written a Polar and the Polar does a bunch of functions like normalizing the data, gathering the data. And I use SSH to pull most of the data or rest. Yeah. And I had this tweet out two days ago, which got like a whole ton of impressions. And it was all about the fact that I said, it's 2022 people. There's an operating system, which is fairly new. And it does not give me all the routes of all of the wharfs. And it, this was <laughs> multicast routes. And I was like, this is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. It, I think that the quote was about how uh, was it a VRF that you're not showing yes. the routes for VR? Yeah, you're, you're not showing it for
1: all the VRFs. Yeah, and my yeah. problem is that, you know, and everybody jumped in and you had a bunch of people who were trying to be kind and help me explain how it could work. And I was not so interested. I knew how to make it work. My point yeah. was, it doesn't have to be so hard. Right, right. right, It's all software at the end of the day. So it doesn't yeah. mean you can't do something. It's just hard. It's more complex. It's more steps. That means the number of people who can do it is much lower. Right. And what I realize is that there are a whole ton of problems associated with, and people were saying like, oh, you should use GNMI. Sure, I'll use DNMI. Does it give me all the data I want? And I spent some time looking at it. It doesn't. There's mm-hmm. tons of data I want that DNMI doesn't give me.
2: Yeah. There is...
1: Also, GNMI works with the modern uh, version of the software. There are tons of people with old versions of software. So one of the things I'm doing to Suzy Q right now is adding support for Nexus OS version 7. Okay. So the number of devices that are with Nexus OS version 7 versus Nexus OS 9 is like order. It's an order or two magnitude difference.
2: Yeah. So
1: now... What am I spending time on? I'm spending time on telling everybody, if you're in this new world, life is beautiful for you. If you happen to be the old world, for whatever your reason is, you're screwed. (laughs) I don't like that. Network operators, this is the part of the problem. Network operators deal with that reality all the time. So telling them, go to this reality is a problem.
0: Right, right. So... The next I mean, so you have a parquet which is a, a very flexible backend allows you, and you decouple from the front end mm-hmm. um, and so if you if you can just tell us what what Suzy Q is in uh, you call it observability, right? so how is that observability different than monitoring different than s n m p as you mentioned um so what does it do for the network operator after you discover this problem set and then you uh, you match that with the technology back And SuzyQ is obviously the thing that links the two. So what does it do and how does it help the network operators?
1: So the first thing that I realized very quickly when I sat down is network operators, again, or network tools, again, are structured very much around what a network vendor is willing to give to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So if the network vendor doesn't want to give you something, you can't get it. That's okay. That's true of many systems. It's not true of network. But in this particular case, we not only take that, but on top of that, we add another constraint, which is it has to be given in a format that I understand, which is SNMP. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have cho- chased this myth of a uniform data model forever. I mean, <laughs> who has a working SNMP MIB outside of interfaces, right? Everybody <laughs> has got their own version of SNMP for, yeah, BGP, right. for this. Or if they have one for BGP now, it is the 10th iteration after a million other iterations.
0: And it's a very basic set, right? Like there's exactly. no, it's exactly. all enterprise names. Yes. Yeah. yes.
1: You and I are obviously making a bunch of people very unhappy right now who are furiously scribbling. The BGP implementation around this version of Cisco is actually excellent and I use it. Sure, more power <laughs> to you. I have zero fight with you.
2: Yeah, My problem
1: yeah. is not that. It's what yeah. about the people who are running all the other versions and people who had to migrate from one version of SNMP to the other as everybody went from the proprietary version that a vendor sold to the non proprietary version. And tomorrow exactly. the pro- vendor will add a new version, a new feature, which won't be supported by the standard. And now what do I do?
0: Yeah, feverishly compiling those MIPS. <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> and no, in MMMs. fact, many but... times
1: people don't even write the MIPS for them, they always yeah, come later, great. which is worse. So my thought process was, I don't want to have to fight with anybody. You know, you give Mm -hmm. me structured data, I will take structured data. You give me unstructured data, I want to take unstructured data. I don't care. My bottom line is two things. I do not want a network vendor to tell me what the data model is. Because getting five different, two different network vendors to agree on a data model is impossible. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to have a network vendor define a data model for me. I'll figure it out. For heaven's yes. sake, they can't agree on what the uptime format is. Forget anything else, and they yeah. each pick an uptime format which is not standard anymore. You don't even find Python libraries to parse them anymore. They're that obsolete.
0: <laughs> oh my so, god, that that is yeah. uh, like that. That that would give me nightmares. We, yeah, that's one of the things. It? If
1: yeah. you look at Suzy Q code, one of the things is convert Cisco time format into standard, convert Juniper time format into standard. They're all yeah. different. Yeah. And so my point, again, is at least agree on something, right? Or uptime. One shows uptime in milliseconds. Another shows uptime in seconds. Another shows uptime in seconds till it hits minutes. Then it only shows in minutes. I mean, everybody is different. Yeah. And even they can't agree on any of those things. Some of them say, we give you structured data. You attempt to use the structured data. It's not even valid JSON. Yeah. So my take is, like, I don't want to argue and debate over if GNMI is the way to go, I'll happily switch to GNMI. I don't want to have a debate over whether GNMI is the right version or the wrong version. Is it wrong. Right,
0: thing. no religion.
1: I have no religion. I want yep. the data. That's all yep. I care about. How I get it, I don't care.
0: So I think, so I'm I'm just going to, obviously we're going to include this in the show notes, but I'm going to read what you have on the Suzy Q introduction, read the docs. Mm-hmm. So it says, on the very introduction page, It Suzy mm-hmm. Q does multiple things. We gather data. Mm-hmm. Right, and using a polar and you know whatever data format that people would give you, like you mentioned,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: then you normalize the data into mm-hmm. a vendor agnostic format, mm-hmm. store it in Parquet, mm-hmm. and then you expose those analytics via mm-hmm. any way you could. So that's yep. the CLI, the GUI, the REST API, and yep. Python SDKs. Yep. Yep. And then the output will render into different format that is applicable to you: plain text, JSON, CSV. And then you mark can, down anything you want. Yep. Right, and then um, uh, and then the analytics engine would uh, it's based on pandas. So you again back to what you were talking about leveraging the best of class tools existing that's out there, which in pandas data frames is uh, you know kind of the standard for uh, data science people
1: for a to, whole bunch to, of things. Exactly. Yeah. But also, I don't need pandas. I in Perfect. the enterprise version of SuzyQ, for example, we replaced it with something else. Yeah. Simply a more powerful version of Pandas. Why? Because I can. I don't need to rely on Pandas. Again, this fact that I use Pandas, today 99% of the code is in Pandas. Mm-hmm. But I can switch to whatever else that they have tomorrow without a problem. So I have written a Spark backend, for example. mm mm-hmm using Apache Spark. I have written another different backend. So I can use different backends for each case if I need to. So tomorrow, if I'm working with a network which has got 10,000 devices, I just change the backend and I get what I want. I don't need to change the Polar. I don't need to change Parquet because Parquet is already geared towards high uh, big data. So that's not what I need to tackle. I need to tackle the engine that can read this very quickly. Whether I switch to Dask, whether I switch to Spark, whether I switch to whatever else, I don't want to be tied again to something that has nothing to do with the data format, that has nothing to do with how I gather the data. Yeah. Right? So right. every time I'm changing the whole equation, it becomes very problematic for anybody. And also, the other thing that I'm very focused on is giving tools that network operators can use, whether they are CLI jockeys or they are DevOps CICD pipeline jockeys. Sure. Whatever is the end you are in, I want to be able to help you build and take advantage of the tool.
2: We'll be back after a quick break.
0: Hi, I'm Esprit Devora. I created Women in Tech so listeners could walk away feeling, if she can do it, so can I. I do not have an inclination if I will succeed at this, but I have nothing that will hold me back. It's not anything new that women are here. It's new that we're hearing our stories. I'm afraid of doing, but I'm too curious not to do it. You have a lot more power than you probably think you do. You got this. Subscribe to Women in Tech wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so I think those are the very important design principle that you just mentioned, right? Because you want to be able to switch out these components. Mm -hmm. And therefore, and and again, at the same time, you want to be vendor agnostic and Mm -hmm. going back to, I don't know, uh, cast 6,500 days, right? Right. So all of these, you know, like the new and the old. So therefore, you're actually using an agentless model for your Polar to, to grab these data and yep. you're not really relying on the vendor give you a API or for normalized data output. You normalize them yourself. So I think what you just mentioned were kind of the why's behind, uh, yep. you know, the things that you chose to do mm-hmm. for SuzyQ.
1: Yep, exactly. And my take in again in all of this, like I said, is to be able to not just two things. I don't want to do is provide them with a dashboard or with something that is predefined by somebody, in this case, a vendor. And in order for you to do anything, you have to go back to the vendor. First of all, uh, there is a line that uh, I think one of the people said, which is you can't debug with a dashboard. The dashboard tells you what is wrong, but then you need to be able to go do more than that. And I yeah. want to, again, make it available for people to know that they can ask these questions that people couldn't ask before.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, can, can you give us an example? So obviously, I'm I'm very impressed with the tool, but... You, you know, uh, and I'll I will, I'll I'll tell you after you answer that question. I'll I'll tell you what my my favorite uh, feature of CUCU <laughs> was. But um, yeah, can you can you give us a question? Sure. Can you so give let's us start interview? with a
1: very trivial one, right? Sure. The most basic, really boring one. Yeah. Version. What is the status of BGP across all my devices?
0: Okay.
2: Sure.
1: That works. Is that out. trivial or OSPF. Yeah. Right. That is so trivial. There's nothing. Or to start with your example, device version. What versions of software do I have? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Right? So first is to, the other thing that SuzyQ does, and I have tried to do this every time, is think of the tool as Google Earth. Okay.
2: You can zoom
1: in and zoom out. But you can zoom in and zoom out, not both in space and in time. Yes. Yes. So you can go back in time because everything is stored with a timestamp. You can go back in time. Or... You can go very deep and say, show me what happened to this one field. I want to only look at this one field across time and across different devices.
0: Yes, yes. And I want
1: to be able to help you do that. Or I want you to be able to step back and say, how many worths do I have? And how many routes do I have per worth? I want to be able be able to get that info as well. So you're all the time looking in terms of not a box, but a system. Right. The network is a system. It's a distributed system. It's probably the original distributed system in a way, right? <laughs> it, it, with the protocols and with everything else, it's trying to give you this idea that it is one unified thing. And right. this whole SDN crap, which uh, basically went off and tried to create a centralized entity, is not the right way to think about it. The illusion of each one being independent is good. And that they work together in unison because that's what makes the network infallible, because it's not whether one device fails, the whole thing cannot fail.
0: Right, right. Which is the the uh, you know the very origin of the the defense system that they exactly put out the, yeah the, the exactly. What is it, DARPA, DARPA net? Yeah, yep. DARPA, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So, so- that is the thing. I mean, SDN has its uses in certain situations. I'm not trying to rain on their parade, but in the particular cases that I have that I yeah. see most people needing networks for, that's yeah. not really a good use of time right. and energy. So letting the routing protocols, and you don't have to be a fan of BGP to head with BGP. Use OSPF if that's what makes you happy. Pick something else if that's what makes you happy. But the point is that it's distributed. There is no single point of failure that the blast radius when anything fails is proportional to the thing that is failing, and it's always as small and contained as possible. All of those things start there. And my point is that coming back to your question, what can we do? You want to be able to ask these questions in a simple way. So device version, what operating system. Uh, The next thing you want to be able to do is show me only those BGP sessions that failed. You can say that's a filter. but find that filter today with many of the things right what you'll have to do is you have to put a pipe and the way most people show bgp summary is they either put a state or they put the count of the number of prefixes exchanged in the same column so now think about how you're going to do the include or not because you will have to say everything that is what because when it is established it's not established you're looking for you're looking for a number if it's a number it's established. And because yeah. the BGP protocol state keeps changing, idle, active, connect, you can't just look for idle. You can't just look for active. So even a simple thing, that's an example to me of how a simple thing can be very hard. Right. So when I was writing the book, I saw this thing and I so I added a command to FRR, which is show BGP summary failed. Now that's mm-hmm. only just one device, but now you can see it across multiple devices. Now you can go on another step and say, not only it failed, tell me why it failed. Is it because the peer was set up with the wrong configuration? Is it that the peer was not even configured? Or even if it is configured and everything is working, maybe there is a problem, which is that you're not advertising all afi So one of the users ran into this problem that they were not actually uh, they had forgotten to configure an AFISAFI safi at the edge. So they had no IPv6 configured at the edge on one side. So they're only exchanging IPv4 routes and their IPv6 routes were getting killed and they were trying to figure out why. And because mm-hmm. it was two different vendors, the two vendors were arguing instead with Susie Q, they just turned it on and they said like, sorry, BGP assert says not all AFISAFIs are exchanged.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: And so they were able to catch it right away. So, you know, you asked what questions. So this is the increasing level of sophistication.
0: Right. And someone else
1: said, and you can't do this today with Suzy Q from the CLI. You'll need to write some Python for it. Uh, But I hope to enable that uh, later on is to say, take all the leaves in your network. Yeah. Take the time the interface came up. Take the time when the OSPF or the BGP session came up on that interface. Yeah. Subtract the two. That will tell you and compute the average. Now that tells you across the leaves, what's the average uptime of OSPF. Now compare the average uptime of OSPF with Juniper versus Cisco versus Arista. Now you can start talking about things differently. Mm-hmm. right? Or you go to a vendor and you tell the vendor, like, look, I, your new version of software is actually much slower than before. Or they tell you, we've got this wonderful new feature. Okay, yeah. when you yeah. turn it on, you can't even answer whether it's right or wrong. Today, half of network design is hard. You just listen to the vendor because there is no way for you to evaluate anything automatically.
2: Yeah. yeah. And so
1: I want SuzyQ to be able to help you with all of this in a way that you can't do today.
2: We'll be back after a quick break.
0: Do you want to change the world? Former Tesla executive turned podcaster, Billy Samoa, is on a mission to help you do it. His show, Inside Out, reveals transformational insights that can literally change your life. If you're a changemaker who wants to make an impact while you're on this planet, then this is the podcast for you. Through deep dive interviews with the world's most remarkable people, your mind will be filled with new ideas and perspectives that will give you the secrets you need to make your mark. Go to insightoutshow.com or subscribe to Insight Out on your favorite podcast platform. Right. I mean, it also solves a hard problem, right? Like, what if you have some sort of uh, race condition within your network, not just within a box, but race condition I mean, we've actually had these problems where you turn on everything at the same time and everything just crashing yep. uh, together. And yep. then you would, you would loop through these states and establishments. Exactly. And, uh, they never get to a state or fully established because everybody's always trying to establish and coming up. Now you go into this pledge of staggered uh, yep. turning up. You turn up the first one and the second one. But yep. with Suzy Q, you can actually ask the question and you can actually see pretty well that what happened there. Yeah. Um, over time. So that's actually my favorite feature of Suzy Q was you could, you could tie time into it. It's yep. not just a snapshot of, yep. you know, whatever monitoring that you have, but it's snapshot plus time. So you could actually go back in time, your time machine and say, uh, and when you include that dimension, there's a lot of problem that you could, you could address and you could solve and so on.
1: Yeah. And that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I'm trying to do is then be able to look at logs, look at metrics, and then to be able to correlate them in ways that you can't do today. And I can tell you, I guess somebody, uh, I didn't do any marketing around this or anything like that, but today I just learned that Stardust has been, so Stardust is the company behind SuzyQ. When I wrote SuzyQ, it was very much an open source uh, project. I did not have anything, but people started calling me and saying like, hey, you know, if you want us to use this in our enterprise, you need to have a company us behind a it, give us a support, give us <laughs> yeah, all of these various right. things. So yeah. I decided to start a company. I had no company in mind when I started the whole thing. Yeah. But we started this whole uh, enterprise. So today I learned that Gartner has chosen as a cool networking vendor. Has oh, wow. as hey, a cool congrats. networking vendor. Yes. Yeah. This is you're my first only... public announcement of that news. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah you're the only <laughs> On one you're podcast. Happened. Yeah, not not publicly like blasting through social. You're the yes. first person who garner names, and you're just like, uh, eh, whatever. No, 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 <laughs> I, I haven't said like that. I will people. go and
1: I'm really excited. I will go. Okay. You know, it's it's a good thing they have done, especially for someone like me who kind of hasn't spent any marketing dollars or done anything yeah, else. Zero. And it's like, you know, through open source, and again, back to your question of you know, accomplishment or whatever. I look at it as I put in the work to try and build something of value. Yeah. Others who saw that of value started speaking about it, and that led them to potentially look at it and, I guess, consider us as a cool networking vendor.
0: Yeah. No conclusion. It's a big achievement, especially for something that is so young and new. Yeah. Um, you know, all the other cool vendors that I know have at least existed for two, two or more years.
1: Yep. Yeah. Now, to be fair, Stardust has been around. I've been writing code now for two years, but it's not really as a company, right? I mean, now is when I've really formed the company. Last September is when I really formed the company, so to speak, Mm -hmm. uh, and started uh, when I had my friend Neela Jacques join me and uh, kind of help me set it up because I couldn't create a business on my own. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a technical guy, remember? (laughs) So... (laughs) He had time. So he said, like, Dinesh, I'll come help you set up the whole thing. So Neela Jacques, yeah. my, he's a good friend of mine, and he helped me set up and get the thing going, so to speak. And so anyway, uh so that so back to I think these are important problems to solve and, you know, getting the award uh, of cool vendor. Only makes me feel like you know I near really need now step up to that responsibility and that honor of really being that cool vendor, not just something that somebody said. And therefore, I want to be, but, you know, rest on my laurels, so to speak.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, how big is um, SuzyQ Q in terms of like stars on GitHub or the, the amount of? Uh, I mean, I, from what I look, you really, really kind of blown up last year. It's just yeah, like getting a lot of traction.s As yeah, far as, yeah, as project but also uh start start a system right
1: yeah it's getting a lot of traction we are, i mean from in terms of just numbers we have 505 github stars as of today oh wow that's uh, that's that's pretty nice again to see that you know pretty much a large portion of it till recently was written just by me and to see that it has gotten the traction it has and it's all good it tells me that there is a real problem here that people want to address want to solve yeah. And so I'm focused on, again, being of service and of value more than anything else. And in the process, uh, if I can make some money, that would be nice. It's like that song, you know, give world, you know, God, please give, uh, solve world hunger. God, give peace a chance. God, you know, stop warring nations. And if you have a time, give me someone to love. It's like that.
2: <laughs> By the way,
1: if you yes. don't mind. Find someone to, give me someone to love. So it's like that, uh, you know, I want to be of service. I want to be able to do all these things. And if I can make some money, that's good.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's nothing wrong with that, right? It's got to yes. be a sustainable model. Yes. And you, you pay back to the community and yes. you attribute that. You reinvest yes. into the community. Yes. So Dinesh, I mean... I think, I know you have a hard stop and I, you know, I appreciate all of the time that you've given, but before we go, I like to ask you, how can people help and contribute to the G project? Because it's really important that we do if you like the project, like I do.
1: Thank you. Thank you for asking that question. That's a very useful one. I think the most important thing you can do is actually engage with it, meaning download yeah. it, use it. And yeah. more importantly, like everything else, if you doesn't do what you expect it to do, engage with the community, help us make it better. Yeah. Or you know, if you think that this is something that you want, that's in the enterprise, uh, pay for it. Uh, support us in various ways so somebody can write code. So for example, there is a guy Ryan Marol. He basically wrote uh, a reverse proxy to enable people to be able to use a single mechanism to be able to have both uh, a, fr- a single common URL to talk to the docs, to talk to the GUI, so that the GUI is not really HTTPS-based, so you can do things in HTTPS. So that's a simple thing you can say, but that was his contribution. There are a whole bunch of people who reach out and give me data to parse out their problems, So because sometimes a parser doesn't work. I don't have hundreds of dozens of switches sitting in my <laughs> garage or in my basement or anything like that. Contrary uh, to
0: popular belief. <laughs> yeah,
1: so my my point is that th- many of them are kind enough to work with me to kind of make sure that the parser works correctly, a whole bunch of things work correctly, et cetera. So engage with the community, help make it better. More importantly, talk to others. But you know, at the end of the day, truly, it must solve a problem for you. I would like you to join, engage with the Slack channel and come and yeah. tell us what problems is it not solving for you? How can we help make it better? I think that would be the simplest. So, And I've tried to make the whole thing as simple as possible. It's a single Docker container. You do Docker pull, NetEnglab, Suzy Q, colon, put a version number to call latest if you want to just check it out.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then you should be able to de- deploy it quite easily. The document uh, that we have online should help you with that. If you instead want to do it with Python, we have a Python library on PyPy. It's pip install Susie Q. And you should be able to proceed with that. And then we have a very sequence, simple sequence of steps of starting the Polar and then the CLI, the GUI, all of them should be fairly intuitive for you to use. And any of them fail, reach out to us over the Slack, engage with us and uh, support us and spread the word like uh, you're doing. Thank you, Eric.
0: No, thank you. I mean, I, uh, I remember when I first joined the Slack, it was always Dinesh answering the questions. But the last few months really is just the community. Everybody's yes. very helpful. Yes. They jump in. Is really yes. a helpful, welcoming community, yes. um, and also Dinesh also uh, hand also conducts uh, office hours out yep. of his busy schedule. He actually does the office hours, so you can actually talk to him in virtual person to ask him questions if you have any. And I asked a bunch of new questions, and I I didn't feel like people were beating me down.
2: Oh <laughs> no, no, You're know, no, very
0: no. nice about it. <laughs> no,
1: there's no reason to beat anyone down, right? It's like that old joke. Uh, Uh, That's a Winston Churchill joke. Apparently, a lady once told him, Sir Churchill, you're drunk. And he said, and madam, you're ugly, but in the morning, I'll be sober. So (laughs) so, telling somebody that they're an idiot because they didn't know something is kind of stupid because they will find out the answer and then it's kind of pointless. (laughs) You just insulted them for no reason. So I don't think not knowing something is a problem at all. So I'm very happy to have people come. It's on the second Thursday of every month. Uh, from 8.30 Pacific time till 10 o'clock Pacific time. So please join, write to me and say like, hey, here is what we want covered. I'm happy to work on trying to cover that topic for you. That's another way to engage. But more importantly, join the Slack channel and participate because I think many people I see just file a bug report. And I heard the other day that there's a fairly big company using us. Mm. I didn't know about it till somebody from inside came and told me about it.
0: Hey, I, I hear... Uh... I hear some some uh, supporting donation coming up.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> hope so. They didn't even tell me that they're using it, so I have no clue. So, Oh, that's always the,
0: how the big company works, right? Yeah. Like, they, they, yeah. they don't tell you until they're actually sold, and now they're like, oh, yeah. okay, well, you know, yeah. how can we help, yeah. hopefully? Yeah. So... Yeah. Um, I think I think the community is model after you, Dinesh. Like you're helpful, you're humble, and therefore people take after that. Just very much how Python is model after uh, Guido Van Rossum, who's you know very strategic, very pragmatic, and very humble, welcoming, and so on. So, thank you I for saying that, Derek.
1: I hope to uh, continue to embody that sense, and uh, the community I hope uh, continues to sustain me as I try and sustain the community as well. Nice.
0: Well, thanks again, Dinesh, for being on the show. I, I learned a bunch. I feel like I have to invite you back. Uh, Absolutely. Happy to later. chat with
1: you, Eric. Your questions are very thoughtful. We can, skip
0: all, thoughtful. The, we can <laughs> skip all the background stuff and get right into the interesting stuff. How does Absolutely. music work? How did the polo work? Absolutely. We'll oh, I'm like, happy a really to do a deep
1: dive way. on that anytime.
0: Yeah, for sure. So thanks again for being on the show. I really enjoy our conversation.
1: Thank you, Eric. I enjoyed chatting with you like before.
0: So thank you for listening to Network Automation Nerds podcast today. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast platforms. Until next time, bye-bye.